Welcome to the Bridge to Branches podcast. You and your entirety are welcome here, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've been through. On the Bridge to Branches podcast, we believe every mental health experience is valid and has power. If you are tending to your mental health, you are smart and brave. If life is a tree, mental health is the bridge from the roots to the branches, connecting where we've been and what we've been through to its impact on the world, spanning outwards. Mental health is the bridge to your destiny in this world. Join us in talking about it. Content warning for this episode. In this episode, substance abuse is discussed, along with weight gain related to psychotropic use, strong opinions around mental health and substances, and disagreements with conventional models of psychology exist throughout this episode. Hi everyone, Alex here. Thanks for being with us. Today on the episode, we have Philip Peterson. Phil is from Chicago, and he's a pot activist, a nature junkie, a businessman, juggler, and humanist. He claims to know a lot about very little, but a little about even less. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for being here. Here's episode eight. your preferred pronouns before we go ahead and start? Uh, always, I guess I've always just gone by the default, cis male, he, him, whatever, but uh, never actually really thought about it. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, sexuality is one thing, but yeah, identity is a totally different thing, you know. Uh, um, so let's kind of dive in. I'm curious how you would define or relate to the actual term of mental health. Well, um, I guess um, I've always, I, I guess my, my disposition is human, so varying at any given place in life <laughs> vastly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, um, I, I was diagnosed with the bipolar at a really young age. I was diagnosed with ADD at a young age and subsequently, you know, had tons of pharmaceuticals uh, shoved down my throat in exchange for a really decent uh, insurance compensation with the doctors, you know, and, and you know, that whole that whole uh, pharmaceutical wheel, you know, that uh, we've got going on, especially in this country, but pretty much everywhere now, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, I I didn't know as a child how to defend myself or or have the right or ability to you know so it was just all right I'm eating these drugs now you know um, it took me my own kind of experience with um, 
finding weed and uh, the time cocaine, you know, like to, to really kind of wean myself off of all those drugs that didn't do a damn thing other than make mm-hmm. me gain a ton of weight, you know. And I, you know, not that I was... Not that I would recommend the quantities of cocaine that I get as a kid, but anybody, consider, especially considering, you know, now we know that copious amounts of cocaine actually uh, cause premature apoptosis in the human brain, um, causing, you know, short-term memory loss and long-term more memory loss. Uh, but, uh, and, and who knows what else, and obviously the sudden death risks depending on overdose quantities, whatever, but... Um, but uh but I mean it worked it got it it brought my weight back down to a manageable level from the Depakote or the, the lithium. I lithium had me go from a normal sized child to a, like a two hundred forty pound five foot two, you know, uh, kind of water bubble. And yeah. uh and uh, you know, from what I understood for you know, and from what I witnessed and from whatever, you know anybody and everybody else but most you know the the pharmaceutical drugs didn't necessarily do a damn thing but uh but the uh, illicit substances seem to work really well at least from my from my perspective and and how I felt you know uh, um mm. so the there's medicating a... shut down the, my mom shut that down put the kibosh on that had me sent to a sent to a yeah. home for boys to get me off the shit and to stop selling it. <laughs> um, there's a ton to unpack here. Um, so we've touched on addiction and struggles with weight and all that can come from uh, medications. You've touched on bipolar. There's a lot that we're opening here, and this is really great. Um, so let's kind of like unpack little by little, if you don't mind. Um, sure. So to begin... It sounds like you're a bit of a skeptic in terms of kind of like the industry, like pharmaceuticals for sure, which is, you know, totally justified. I think quite a few people out there are. But uh, in terms of like the term mental illness, sounds like you were diagnosed with bipolar and ADD, you said. So those are two what are typically considered to be mental illnesses. Do you relate to the term mental illness at all? Or if not, what other language do you like to use rather than mental illness? Um, the term, I mean, the term itself, um, is, is so far reaching, you know, because in my mind, you know, to be human is to be mentally ill, you know, and at any given stage in life, it's, it's, uh, it looks one way or another, depending on the one that, you know, seems to fit you the most, you know, uh, it's like we all have, you know, memory issues throughout life to some degree. Uh, and then we see those exacerbated in people that get content with Alzheimer's or dementia, um, you know, or other forms of neurodegenerative diseases, you know. Uh, so I'm a little, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird, you know, and then both, you know, both my, my brother's kids and, and then also the third one they just adopted are all on the autism, on the autism spectrum. You know, and uh, and so then you have another again, kind of very neat per individual situation where they clearly, you know, um, have a difficult time um, relating uh, to people with people, 
communicating with them, understanding verbal or nonverbal communication, you know, to varying degrees, you know, so like, so I don't know. So, so it's kind of a, it's a very complex, you know, topic. Mental health is, is something that we, you know, we all, all struggle with to varying degrees. And so, you know, I do, you know, I, I definitely don't identify with the label that I was given as a kid, and I do, and I am skeptical, and I do feel that overdiagnosed things or misdiagnosed things or total farce conditions like ADHD um, that are slapped onto people are really just a way to get them into the uh, pharmaceutical uh, complex, you know. So, yeah, no, like, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I didn't know how to defend myself. Like, what bipolar? Like, you're bipolar. Get out of here with that mess. Yeah. You know, like, there's, right. there's none of that. There's none of that. It's, it's you, you do this or you suffer this consequence because you're the child. You know, and, right. uh, Very black and, and, white and, and so who knows how many of those are out there? You know, I mean, you got to be, it's got to be a countless number of us. You know, that, that, right. uh, we're, we're just like, Oh, what? You have an insurance company who says, hmm, now you have this condition. <laughs> You're welcome and thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of like a a factory, it seems like, a little bit when you describe it like that. Um, and I definitely understand understand the skepticism at times. I think that mental illness can kind of keep us stuck in, like, the illness of things, the illness of our situation, the, the kind of... Um, the malady or the detriment, and um, I think that that can keep us locked in sometimes for life, um, identifying with uh, mental illness rather than mental wellness, which we all have access to at all times. Let's get back to you and kind of your story with addiction and the things that you struggled with in terms of substances, because I know this leads into like present day um, and what you're doing now in your work. Um, kind of like where you've been leading to where you are. So in terms of you self-medicating, how did that, what was the impact on your life at the time? Was it, um, was it all negative? Well, was it all, like, in, it sounds like it wasn't all negative, but. Um, well, from, yeah, from my perspective, I think, I think if you, if you looked at it, uh, you know, um, like my drug use as a kid, um, like I was doing copious amounts of cocaine. By the time I was 16, I was doing an ounce a day. Um, and I was still making, you know, 2,500 bucks a day after my habit, you know, and, and like any, any, you know, maybe any other kid, you know, would say, well, that's a fucking hell of, that's a hell of a childhood you had there. It's, it sounds, sounds just absolutely wonderful, you know, and like, and, I was I would be one of those people that thought that like I had I thought it was a great time I had a great time I was living you know what I felt like was my best life uh, you know I I had no um, up to that point no consequences for it you know and like the, you know if I was an adult and and had gotten stopped you know it might have looked like a decade in prison or more you know what I mean but uh, I was a kid and was just living what I thought was my best life. You know, addiction didn't seem like a thing to me because um, I just, because I wasn't short on money and I wasn't, like, putting substances before relationships. I wasn't putting it before work. I still went to work. I've been working since I was 13, almost full-time. And, 
and so I still went to work. I still did all the things. I still went where I was where I, where I was wanted, and um, that was quite a few more places than most kids my age because I had had uh, access to all those substances that everybody wanted. You know, so um, so addiction um, was something that I was kind of coerced into having. I was told that I was an addict, and I was told that doing all these things made me a drug addict, and it did all these things, and like, you know, as a kid, it's like, you know, I guess people have been around for a lot longer and might know something, you know, I guess maybe I should listen. You know, I did a few years sober, uh, I did a, I did a, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, three years, like three years without touching anything. Um... Uh, any illicit thing, I should say, because I still did all the drugs everybody else does. You know, I still did sugar, which is perhaps one of the, one of the worst drugs you can possibly do. Uh, I still did uh, caffeine. Um, you know, I still did uh, uh, nicotine. You know, I still smoked copious amounts of, of cigarettes. You know, and and um, again, one of the worst, another one of the worst things you can do. Um, totally legal, you know, it's, uh, the uh, illicit things that actually did help me, though, and seemed to give me a, a stability, um, you know, did not, uh, I didn't touch those things, you know, and, and uh, for th- three entire years, and it turns out that, that that is both a good thing and a bad thing, um, because now I'm aware of science, I was not privy to at the time, um, the the good thing was that um, I stopped doing cocaine for those years, and uh, cocaine is not good for your brain, for developing brain, especially in those quantities. Uh, I did also use copious amounts of cannabis, which turns out is a good thing because it's a neuroprotectant. Uh, cannabinoids in general, you know, certain cannabinoids over others though have been have been uh, proven and actually known by the federal government to be neuroprotectant. You know, the federal government actually has a, a patent for uh, certain cannabinoids, neuroprotective properties. So, you know, while using that much, even if some of it, I mean, some of it had to be cocaine. Obviously, the majority of it was actually amphetamine, it turns out. But uh, uh, it turns out there's, bar- there's like 90% of the cocaine found and tested, you know, by authorities around the world is actually, like, like terrifyingly impure, you know. So at that point, I was fortunate that the impurity was something that actually seemed to benefit me as a child. At the same time, you know, the, the jury's not entirely in on on whether, on how, how exactly, you know, much damage I'd caused to my brain, but there was definitely some damage, you know. I definitely didn't have the greatest memory, you know, when I, I did... Uh, a friend of mine actually helped me and and got me onto doing a bunch of different tests to uh, determine intelligence, uh, which is like a lot less uh, IQ and a lot more uh, tests of things like working memory, spa- you know, uh, spatial recall, you know, all these different like luminosity games. You can actually gauge a much broader kind of understanding of intelligence than one could ever get with an IQ test since IQ test is really just a measure of long-term memory. Right, Um, right. But but also um, taught me about nootropics and about getting on to things like acetylcholine. Um, 
that actually reversed a lot of the damage that I'd done to my own brain as a kid uh, and actually brought my intelligence level way further along than it was at that point. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, definitely an interesting topic. And, you know, you know it's, 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 a, it's a topic for everybody. Mental health is something we all struggle with. So, but I, but I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think it was a, a good thing that I didn't do cannabis for those years, though, because, like I said, cannabis is a neuroprotectant. Um, the government knows that uh, most people that, uh, in the scientific community are aware of it. You know, they're aware of the patent that the federal government holds. They're aware of why. Uh, you know, the you know the, the chances of you developing some sort of neurodegenerative disease go down immensely um, if you partake. So right, those three right. years, so those three years are three years of preventative medication I missed out on. You know that mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't use. You know I'm now I'm, um, you know much more aware of the science behind that. I'm also um, much more seasoned, uh, you know, when it comes to use and know which cannabinoids work best for me, which parts right. of the day. I'm curious about when you kind of decided that you needed to actually start to tend to your mental health and you quit using the substances that weren't benefiting you when you started medicating in the ways that were beneficial specifically to you. Like, what was there, like, a breaking point that came along? Well, so um, I had, in my few years of sobriety, been invited to start a couple companies with some friends of mine uh, that I'd... I'd met while being sober. Um, you know, it's still been working, other jobs, you know, at that point. But um, but in my sobriety, started the, started a few companies, um, and one of the companies I started, I had only had a contract to work for one year. I would help get the company off the ground, and then I would receive, you know, uh, X amount you know, once the company reached X amount of value, um, you know, and then subsequently another amount throughout the rest of that company's existence. Um, so after working for this company for a year and getting it off the ground and making all the necessary initial moves, um, I had uh, decided I'd finally take a break, you know, and in that break, decided, from you know what? From substances or a break from what? Break from working? Break from, from substances? From, from the company. You know, I'd fulfilled my contract with, the co- with that company. I had um, initially, I had essentially kind of sold off the other one. And, um, but in that break, I decided, you know what? I'm going to start smoking weed again. You know, I don't think that um, weed... Uh, is a big deal, you know. I think I, I don't like. I I didn't have it entirely intellectualized, but my body was calling for it, and I answered. You know, I started smoking weed again, um, and uh, kind of uh, felt like um, you know it was nice to be to be back and dabbling in my subconscious because, as most people are aware, you know. Cannabis is a mild entheogen, and thus will kind of um, bring you to a place of meditation um, that you know most people might not ordinarily achieve without. 
why is it do you think that it has that effect on some people maybe even like on a, a neurological level like why does it affect certain people that way where they can get into like a really meditative state and other folks it creates kind of wreaks havoc kind of in their in their experience like this isn't you know no explanation is like how that's how it is across the board i just know i've had experiences where it's been very very beautiful and chill and meditative and all these things and i've also had a really horrible experiences with with cannabis where i go into a state of complete and acute paranoia um and can't function don't understand what's going on around me um you know it's like actually quite scary so i'm curious why is do you think it's like a strain issue i i know for me it's not a, a, a strain issue with um that particular situation because it's happened a few times and i just don't smoke at all anymore so and i know it's medicine for other people well i mean the degree of paranoia is healthy for humans um obviously um kind of allowing it to run the show is not healthy but um you know i, I think i heard was it john wayne saying you should try to chew you should chew on black pepper to get too paranoid and there was a, there was a john mm. wayne quote apparently yeah pepper uh, black pepper actually has a constituent that decreases that aspect of cannabis consumption um I don't remember what the constituent is off the top of my head. Um, but I've had my bouts of paranoia too, um, you know, with cannabis. And since we typically, in an, you know, in an unregulated market like we've been dealing with for our whole lives here in Illinois almost until recently, um, you know, we haven't had the privilege of knowing which cannabinoids we were getting, you know, and since cannabis is the only plant in the world that we know of that is its own entire pharmacy and its own species, you know, that's a very, that's a vastly varying um, kind of cornucopia of medicines that you're talking about within the one plant. You know, so um, since there are literally over 100 different cannabinoid compounds that we are aware of, you know, taking any one particular strain is going to lead to a very different result uh, than any other, you know, so um, I think that, you know, there there's a strong potential uh, that, you know, the cannabis that you had that led you to that place was a strain that induced, you know, a much more uh, profound type of meditation and that you were fixating on a certain fear at that time, you know, uh, is you know, not only going to be unique to what it was that you were going through in that stage of your life, but it was also going to be, um, you know, much more pronounced um, when I mean, it, in a much more deep meditative state. So timing is, is a lot of it. Setting is another big portion of it. You know, there's something greatly to be said about the set and setting in which you use an entheogen. And Completely. even though even though an entheogen, you know, even though cannabis is a much milder form of an entheogen than uh, other forms we're aware of, um it is still going to be, especially depending on the strain, a very profound experience. 
you know, so you know, especially if you're if you're somebody that doesn't have a high tolerance like myself, you know, like I mean, you and I, if we started smoking a joint next to each other, you'd probably stop after a couple puffs, and I might smoke another joint or two afterwards, <laughs> and uh, to to feel almost the same as where you're at, you know, but it will never be the same because we are different people. Um, so. Right. Um, and therein is the con- whole concept of mental health, I think. It's like everyone's brains are so different. And um, I will just say with my experiences that I have been quite quite dark um, with marijuana, I think that the content of the paranoia, like what it was, what it was, it, what it surrounded, what it was about, like I had, it came out of left field, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't things that I, that I think about, um, that I focus on, so. Um, I think it is like particular to my to my brain, and I think ultimately that's why I was diagnosed with bipolar. Um, I was diagnosed around that time, um, so it was like a few years ago. But I am curious about because you mentioned not to take us away from the con- the conversation around cannabis because we can come back to it and weave it in, of course. Um, but I'm curious about what your symptoms were when you were diagnosed as bipolar when you were young. And I guess to yeah, just to weave back into the cannabis conversation, if those symptoms still would arise within you, if you feel like cannabis helped with that. I mean, I was just a shit child, you know. <laughs> the fact the fact of the matter was, I was a, a brat, you know. Yeah. I, I, if I didn't get what I wanted, I was miserable, and if I got what I wanted, I was pleasant. And to call to call that bipolar is, you know. Yeah, it sounds like a misdiagnosis. So, you know, or to allow that to be called bipolar is a real kind of pushover move, I think, on my parents uh, at the same time. Um, I think a lot of parents are confused and, like, even scared to an extent, though, of whatever's going on with their kids, and it makes sense on some levels for them to just, like, get a diagnosis and put them on medication, Um Sure. And it's hard, you know. It's like I, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine that being really difficult. And yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the answers, but I think there's arguments on both sides. I also think that you know, um, cannabis was really the ticket for me. You know, like whatever is going on, you know, if I am a degree of mentally ill, which I'm sure I am because I'm human, you know. Um, and thus, you know, like, you know, yeah, just the human condition in and of itself is 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 our all is all of our shared malady, you know. So, um, but whatever is going on in in, in here, you know, it's it's definitely um, a calmer, more respectful, um, relaxed, um, rational, you know, being when I'm on a a varying range, you know, varying range of of cannabinoids, you know, and I, you know, certain ones work at better points at different points of the day. Some some work better in the morning for me than at night. You know, I'm spoiled though. You know, like I I've been a pot activist for almost a decade, and have been made privy to science that most people just aren't aware of yet, and might not be for a long time. But um, and so I and, and I have access to a wide range of cannabinoids, um, you know, and has even before legalization than most people. So because of that, you know, I've been able to 
live a fairly sane and productive life, you know, all things considered, despite the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people with, with, uh, um, that have been put in my, you know, and, you know, cause I, I, I guess I'm, I, I hadn't mentioned, you know, part of my, uh, later on sobriety and I went to prison for, for the, for some of these substances that I found that worked for me, you know, and, uh, and as a felon, uh, and not, um, I'm not eligible really to lead the kind of life that non-felons are, you know, typically. Um, and I'm a special case, you know, I am aware, like, I, I have exercised, whether knowingly or unknowingly, uh, a huge chunk of my white privilege card, um, and, and also just, I don't know, uh, was, uh, in the right place at the right time for a lot of things, you know, and when I got out of prison, I knew that I was essentially imprisoned for violating um, paperwork, you know, that was written out by people that I never would have agreed to, you know, that I don't think anybody in their sober mind would agree to. I don't think that drug policy is something that most folks can say they had a hand in forming. But if you ask anybody, you know, they'll tell you for damn sure that they must adhere to that policy or they're a criminal. You know, they know the consequences of violating said paperwork or said policy, but they but they definitely don't know who it was that, that uh, was there at the signing of those policies. You know, and something that I found out through my activism was that the majority of those policies were written by lobbyists that work for pharmaceutical companies. You know, they don't care about you. They don't care about me. They definitely don't care about our mental health. What they care about is our bottom line. You know, so if it only costs a couple million in, in lobbyist fees for them to rake in hundreds of billions of dollars over a mere decade or so, um, you know, by selling the same drugs that we sell or that I was selling with a different name, you know, or patent, right? Uh, then by all means, it's worth the, it's worth a few pennies, it's worth a few million, and uh, they do it. And while we're all at work or asleep, and then we all just have to roll over and say that, yeah, okay. We would all we would all agree that the system is is functioning um, really not for the people. I think that's that's very clear to most people who are aware and awake and. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing that you're getting the sense that your experiences from early life, like your experiences with substances and your own ideas about mental health have kind of shaped what you're doing today. And it feels positive from what I know of you in terms of like cannabis legislation. Um, it seems like you're doing it from a place of recognizing that it's medicinal on some level at least it has been for you and that's what drives it so that kind of like aligns with um what we're doing this podcast is talking about how the bridge from one's mental health spans out into the world and affects positive change so i'd love to hear some more about um kind of like the the positive impacts that your that your um legislation efforts have taken well um one thing to be clear uh, is that, uh, you know, I have 
the way I, I got involved in pot, pot activism um, was kind of a shoe-in vacuum. I kind of fell into, you know, a buddy of mine was on the board of directors for a specific group working to legalize cannabis in Illinois and uh, was one of the only people that wrote me while I was in prison. And uh, when I got out, I wanted to help in any way that I could at one of the activists, uh, this activist space that he kind of helped organize. There were about 350 different activist organizations using the space, um, including the one that he was on the board for. Um, and I would do anything and everything I could help to help with that space because to, to me that space was a revolutionary space. It was one that, uh, of all the spaces in the city of Chicago, I thought had the potential to actually reform or change the policies that had essentially taken years of my life away, you know, that I would never get back. And it was more out of a, a distinct disdain for the current system um, and its brokenness and, uh, and, and and a yearning for true liberty that I got involved in any way that I could and eventually ended up getting nominated for the board of directors and taking on an official title and uh, actually lobbying directly in the Capitol to talk to lawmakers, bringing their constituents down to introduce them to their lawmakers. Um, and it was, so, so I do believe that there is a correlation between liberty and mental health. Uh, a very strong one. Uh, you know, I think that our forefathers, uh, regardless of the circumstances at the time, did in fact have a great idea when it came to the pursuit of happiness and when it came to liber liberty. Um, and I think that those two things go hand in hand. I think that when, when you are free, or, you know, when you are uh, able to live in the way that is your best life and that doesn't interfere with other, other people's ability to do so. Uh, I think that it stands um, as a pillar of one's mental health, you know. And um, and so despite the fact that my attempt to change the system was built out of, out of extreme distaste for the current one, um, it, you know, it definitely did lead to a place of uh, mental health and, and like stability in my life and the perpetuation of it in others. Um, you know, because obviously now that we all have access here in Illinois, you know, we um, we have the ability to pick and choose, you know, which cannabinoids uh, we want, we get. We get to uh, experiment and find out which ones work the best for us. Um, we can talk to our medical professionals about it now where we couldn't before because pharmaceutical companies, again, you know, were, uh, had, had this, had a very distinct power in, in what doctors pushed, you know, for a long time. It wasn't even, you weren't even allowed to talk to your doctor. I mean, you could talk to your doctor about your use, but they couldn't talk to you back about any of the science if they knew any of it. You know, that, so that information was heavily suppressed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, is it so? Is it exclusively um, naturopathic doctors that can kind of like give advice and prescribe um, cannabis if someone is looking to if they're in a state where? Um, well, well, funny enough, in Illinois, doctors still aren't even able to prescribe it. 
you know, doctors still in Illinois actually can only write a recommendation to the Department of Public Health, and then the Department of Public Health can make the decision of whether or not someone is eligible for medical cannabis. So even still, pharmaceutical companies have this play, this power play happening, where you can pres- doctors can prescribe their shit all day, every day, while still only being able to write a recommendation to yet a different department. You know, this red tape and bureaucracy is just thrown, thrown in there, you know, to make it just to just still make it that much more difficult for people to take drugs that actually work instead of the ones that really just cover the symptoms of the things that could be fixed with cannabis. <laughs> so, um, you know, so so it's still, you know, we're still in a, a funny gray area transitioning thing here. But now, you know, uh, we've also, uh, through our efforts and the efforts of a lot of people here in Illinois, businesses, uh, donors, uh, volunteers that I've gotten the privilege to work with and organize, um, we're we're finally at a place here where we just said, well, let's just skip medical entirely and go full legalization, so that there isn't the red tape for everybody, and you know we don't, you know, we can actually live a more free life, you know. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, we're still not there. I mean, in the world of prohibition, there's always going to be two worlds. You know, and, and prohibition still exists uh, with other substances. You know, I, I personally feel that despite the fact that I've kind of been pigeonholed into pot, pot activism, you know, I still think that we're not going to live in a free country until we have decriminalized all substances. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, if I went to prison for, you know, um, for selling MDMA to somebody, and uh, and it wasn't even like I had, I hadn't even been selling like I was when I was a kid, I was just doing somebody a favor and it was random, you know, and like, you know, I, I had access to something they didn't, and I was like, I'd be a dick if I didn't help them, you know, uh, but it turns out the dicks were the ones that uh, that threw me on the ground and pointed a bunch of guns at me and, you know, threw me in a cage and held me for ransom, you know, if I had money, they would have let me go, you know, but I didn't, I wasn't from a, I wasn't from a wealthy family, you know, I didn't, you know, like I, I, I didn't have people to sit around waiting to chuck 15 or 20 grand at an attorney to then also throw however many grand to the courts to pay for that whole industrial complex too. You know, like that's unfortunately the way it's always worked in our country. The you know criminal justice system was designed to affect minorities and poor people alike, and that's pretty much it. You know, so um, so I was turned into this wheel. You know, and uh, and uh, the criminal justice system took over from there, you know, and this is still going on. You know, I, I don't think that while we still have a world of prohibition, you know, we'll ever have one world where we can all talk honestly to each other about what we think or feel surrounding substances and mental health. It's always going to be affected uh, or not by someone's use or lack thereof of substances. It's always going to be an issue. And People don't talk about it like it's a diet issue or a public health issue. They talk about it like it's a criminal justice issue, right. and you know, and and that's not right. If we're talking about mental health, you know, we need to be talking about diet. We need to be talking about exercise. We need to be talking about substances, and substances should, in theory, be clumped in with diet. You know, uh, and in which case we're talking about a public health issue and not a criminal justice one. We're talking about, you know, well. 
Yeah, because, I mean, let's think, of, think about it. You know, cannabis is a vegetable, you know. It's vegetation, just like all your other vegetables, you know, it has nutritional value. You know, um, it has the greatest ratio of omega-3s and 6s, fatty acids, that you know, of any plant or substance that we know of in the, in the world. Better than flax oil, better than fish. It's more bioavailable to the human body than any other any other plant that we know of. And if if anybody if you're familiar with omega threes and sixes, it's super vital to brain health. You know, so we're talking about diet here. We're not talking about substance abuse. You know, we're talking right. about we're talking about necessary diet. Um you know, it's a matter of finding the balance, though. You know, it's just so different for each person. Like I mentioned, like I have a really hard time with cannabis. At this point in my life, it affects my brain in a certain way that's not pleasurable or healing to me. That hasn't always been the case for me at all. Like I've had beautiful experiences with ganja, with cannabis. But then there are other things that do work for me, other substances that do. I I personally am on lithium right now, and it's 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 medicine for me at this point in my life, you know, there are other things that aren't medicine for me that were at different times and vice versa. So it's, it's really like a, such a balance. And that, I think that you made a really good point in terms of grouping it in with diet because diet to me is, is about finding like equilibrium. It's about finding the balance that works for your system, that works for your Absolutely. brain and that's individual to each person. Absolutely. If you're ingesting it, it's a dietary issue. If it's something that you're ingesting, it's it's diet. You know, if it's if it's you need more iron in your food, it's diet. If it's you need more CBD in your food, it's diet. If it's you need more amphetamines in your brain, it's diet. If you you know whatever it is, and I mean pharmaceutical companies pump amphetamines out like it's going out of style. You know, they just call it Ritalin or Adderall, you know, and, right. and uh, you know, and develop a patent for it and then stick anybody in jail that sells a pure version of it that works better. But if, uh, you know, if it's, again, you know, anything that you have to ingest, it's definitely a diet. And, it, and yes, balance is what you're looking for, you know, and, and since we're all so different, yes, it's, it's going to look very different for the individual. Yeah, I mean, so, I think the fear yeah. is if someone buys something off the street, they don't know how much they're taking of something, you know, like you never know the measurements, you don't know the milligrams, the dosages. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, you know, this, the purity is an issue. You know, when I was a kid, the majority of the cocaine I was doing was amphetamine, which it turns out for my brain was actually what I needed. You know, but, uh, yeah, uniquely um, for you, apparently that was your your unique medicine, strangely. Like that's, you know, yeah. It's interesting, and back to what I'm saying, like it's so unique for each person. I think the conversation needs to be around um, opening opening the conversations, like normalizing the conversation so we can see what's right for each person because every person requires a unique concoction that only really they know. And I had, a, I had an interview earlier this week that I did for this podcast where we were talking about um, sort of like how doctors – it's it's really like a, a toss up. Like you don't really know what works for that person until you try it, and that's just kind of the the scary kind of trial and error part. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think that uh, you know, um, looking back, um, you know, I was I was on like fourteen different medications at once. Um, you know, I took 
like literally 14 different pills a day. And uh, I think if I, I can remember some of them, I could read off a list of mem- through memory. It was like Wellbutrin, um, uh, Depakote, Paxil, um, let's see. Uh, so antipsychotics, antidepressants, probably some anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. Probably just, some. Like, yeah, I really imagine too. elaborate concoction. That I'm sure you know the pharmaceutical company did well off of financially, <laughs> you know, like, but I don't right. think helped me. <laughs> no, at all. no, you know, I gained, yeah. I gained weight. I had, I started develop to develop like, um, um, like self image issues that had never existed, and it wasn't just because of the weight. It was like I'd like started thinking differently. It's like right, your brain was started, working in a different I way. Started to become paranoid about my mental health and all these things because I was being told that that it was like a concern where it might not have been had I just been given some weed and told to chill out, you know, like yeah. or whatever, you know, like you know, or some Molly, you know, like I mean, it's hard to say, like yeah. Give a well, that's the thing, though. Like, it's not something yeah. that anybody wants to have to be the arbiter of. At the same right. time, kids are given that stuff, and and it's uh, you know by the time they're nine, you know, I was given, I was, I was uh, prescribed a version of of amphetamine by the time I was nine years old, anyway. So, it, I, you know, if it was, if I was the parents and I had known about amphetamines, like I would have preferred to give my child the real thing than this thing that really didn't actually work as well, but, you know, made the company a lot more money, you know, like if I had just right. been given therapeutic doses of Molly, you know, well, by the, yeah. you know, at that, at that stage, you know, once a month, I it potentially could have been more effective at enabling me to communicate with my family and community than the, the synthesis or than the kind of like petty, um, like alternative, like pharmaceutical version of it because it's they're less effective. You know, it's like it's this really watered down version of it that's actually terrible for you too, especially because you're taking it every day. And amphetamines aren't something you're supposed to take every day. You know, it's not like that. It's not good for your brain to take these things in the quantities at which the pharmaceutical companies are giving them to you in. You know, you're not supposed to take this stuff every day. It's terrible for your brain. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of studies out that show, like, the, the negative effects of, of the long-term uh, and and continuous use of, of these things. The same thing with heroin. And that stuff is pumped down people's throats therapeutically, too. You know, you get, it's like you can go into any any pharmacy in the world and get heroin. You know, they just call like it off. Recycling chemicals. Yeah, they give, you a, they give you some, exactly, they give you some version of it you know, with some, some patent or whatever, and then, you know, the, the continued use of those things cause osteoporosis. They turn around and sell a treatment for that, though, too. You know, they give, they give you the drug that causes the thing that they got another drug ready for, you know. It's like, okay, okay, guys, like, you know, at what point do you just not take the bait and say, yeah, no, I think this will work better, you <laughs> know. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really delved into this topic, or this uh, topic I have, but this specific kind of facet of this topic in terms of my bipolar and my experiences with paranoia, but there is certainly a point where I hadn't yet experienced paranoia yet was to the extent that I did, um, but was prescribed. I went into a hospital for a little while, which I talk about in the first um, episode a bit, but I went to a psychiatric hospital and was put on like six or seven medications and my 
paranoia was exacerbated like incredibly like incredible amounts to the point of like it like grew and grew and grew they released me from the hospital and within like two months I like was almost catatonic I wasn't I like didn't I felt like I couldn't leave my house um and it was because I was on this concoction of medication and it was like and so then I went back into a hospital um and they took me off all of it and I remember crying to my doctor there who was so wonderful and I said to him like I can't ever go back to that that place that I was in um when I with all those medications when I was so paranoid and he was like you should never should have been on that many medications like that is terrible that, that they prescribed that for you as in like the previous hospital and um yeah and they prescribed me just lithium and it was it was what I needed and um lithium I've done a little bit of research on I know it's a salt it's a naturally occurring you know and for me that's what works right now but I totally hear you with all, with all the medications and the recycling of like the chemicals and just calling them different things and that's that stuff is it's real and it's scary and it's it's intense but yeah thank you for bringing light to this topic yeah, well yeah it's been a pleasure it's one of my favorite topics you know it's that's why uh <laughs> why i'm still involved in activism i i guess now i'm finding new outlets but yeah this is definitely one of my favorite topics you know it's hard not to um want to uh, embrace this as a topic when it's literally something that you've been incarcerated for, you know. Yeah. You mean like the <laughs> cannabis the cannabis piece or the other you said other substances, other Well, substances in general, you know, they yeah. it, you know, it's it they play a huge part in mental health and should be a public health discussion, you know, and and Definitely. the mental health discussion. And it should be one that we're not afraid of having because of you know, because we're uh you know, accidentally incriminating ourselves anytime we say we found something that worked that hasn't uh, been signed off on by a doctor. Right. Right, right. Well, thank you. Um, thank you again. And is there anything you'd like to add just in terms of the, the impact of your work um, in terms of activism and cannabis reform or other causes you'd like to promote at all? Well, now that we've legalized weed in Illinois, um, I like I'm still going to be um, kind of I'm still on the board for the group I'm, I'm with. I, you know, like I will be doing more like consumer advocacy stuff. But now, kind of the direction I'm really leaning more towards now is one of my one of my partners is a uh, an environmental activist and has been um, getting involved with a group. Uh, that she's really fond of and I have just been kind of made aware of called Extinction Rebellion. And um, and so, and now kind of stepping more into a more environmental aspect of activism and think that their work should be known about. Um, I think that uh, that's a pretty cool global community of people that are uh, attempting to band together and do things that we can't get through you know, we can't get the people behind the bureaucratic red tape to do anything about in mass. So it's something we start we have to start talking to each other about and figuring out how us as individuals in those communities, um and as networks within those communities, you know, can uh, somehow reverse or halt climate shift in the uh you know 
can't, or at least if you get it to slow down, you know, Completely. Um, because it seems inevitable, you know, um, that, that we're going a, a terrible direction when it comes to how we're affecting our environment, and yet uh, uh, there are definitely things we can do. So I think that I think I think if we if we want to have a a more um, unified and mentally stable existence of the species here in this planet, one of the things we're going to have to consider as a factor is going to be how we treat our environment so that it, you know, in turn treats us well, you know. Completely. Um, it's definitely a factor. You know, substances are, are just a small fraction of mental health. Another, you know, another big portion of that is set and setting. And if we're destroying our set and uh, invading our setting with, you know, plastics and pollutants and gases and poisons, you know, then it's going to be something that is going to have a negative effect on all of our mental health. You know, so I think that uh, I think that's that's going to be how I would wrap it up. You know, I think that uh, we get, we got a few, a few things in Chicago coming up: um, Earth Day through May Day. Um, uh, Extinction Rebellion is going to be um, doing a lot of work here in Chicago, and I know that uh, they're going to be. Uh, actively working around uh, in different factions around the world to uh, to do their parts elsewhere as well. So, thank you. That's amazing, and I really appreciate you bringing light to that topic. Um, everything is connected, right? And our our mental health is definitely um, it definitely is affected by what's going on in the world and the environment. And um, climate change is our common enemy. I think so. Yeah, that's definitely a deeply important and impactful statement and topic. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on the call today. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been kind of covered like a lot of territory, so it's been great. (laughs) Definitely. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Mental health affects us all. If you are feeling suicidal, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Oh, I think I do overshare, and I sometimes marvel that I do it. But it's sort of, in a way, it's my way of trying to understand myself. I don't know. I get it out of my head. It creates community when you talk about private things and you can find other people that have the same things. Otherwise, I don't know. I felt very lonely with some of the issues that I had or history that I had. And when I shared about it, I found that others had it too. Carrie Fisher. Thank you to the city of Detroit where we record this podcast each week. To Ayla Nario for the use of her beautiful song and to our listeners who may be struggling with mental health issues, may this podcast serve as a light in what can often be a very dark night. Catch you next time on the Bridge to Branches podcast.